0: As a young child, she was sexually abused by a family member for a long period of time. And that had impact on her life, her career choices, her relationships. She's here to talk about the signs every parent should be aware of when it comes to sexual abuse. Also talk about the impact on her life, her decision making, her recovery, and what she does now to help others. Welcome Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. If you enjoy the Law Enforcement Today podcast, do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, if you got a few moments, leave an honest review and rating. But most importantly, tell a friend or two or three. Calling us from the Bay Area of California, we have Jane Epstein on the phone. Jane, I met in the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Met some great people there. And by the way, if you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. Look for me, follow me. It's John, middle initials, J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, or at L-E-T radio show. Jane, thanks for agreeing to be a guest on the show. Very much appreciated.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: One of the things about Jane's story when we were talking is she was sexually abused as a child. It had profound impacts on her life. There were some what she calls dark days. And she was going to talk about her experience in rebuilding her life afterwards and what she does to help others. And from your experience, some of the signs that parents need to be aware of when it comes to sexual abuse for your children. Did I pretty much cover all the bases?
1: I believe you have.
0: <laughs> Without going graphic, and I don't, I don't believe in doing trials by radio show. Let's just start from the beginning. Tell your story uh, about when this abuse started, how long it went on, and then we'll go from there.
1: Sure. I I was raised in a you know it appeared to be a normal Christian family home. Everything was done the best way possible but I was sexually abused from the age of six until 12 by an older sibling. My older sibling was 12 and he became curious and that's when the sexual abuse began and it continued on for six years until he went away to
0: college. That's a very long time. First of all, I gotta say this. This is a conversation that makes me very uncomfortable because I don't have a point of reference. I don't know how to reply, so if I'm quiet a lot, Jane, that's why. I can only say that I really appreciate when people tell their stories about this because it's such a prominent problem in all aspects of society and I say this all the time, we teach our kids to be afraid of the boogeyman down the street. We teach them to be very much concerned about the guy in the car, hey, you want some candy kid, or help me find my puppy, or whatever it might be, and those are legitimate concerns, but the vast majority of sexual abuse of children happens with family members, people are very close to the family, and that's where we really should pay a lot of attention.
1: Correct, and a lot of society doesn't even take into account about sibling sexual abuse, step-sibling, cousin, an older adolescent, yet 40% of sexual abuse is committed by children under 18. It is committed child with child. I have parents reach out to me and say, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't consider it. So that's why I'm talking about this.
0: Yeah, and it is a thing. And it's something that happens in, in every aspect of our society. And not just here in the United States. It's everywhere around the world. And And part of it is, I don't want to sit in judgment. And so I do my best not to there's nothing that the five six seven eight year old can do to provoke this secondly i don't know how to describe it it's not like the evil child predator rapist but it's still abuse nonetheless and the impacts on the victim are the same
1: yes absolutely when a child you know sexual abuse within families and step siblings and cousins It can start with curiosity. In my story, it started with curiosity and then it turned into sexual abuse. It's because a younger child is available. And if you're a teen and you don't have access to the answers and your your hormones are changing daily, your younger sibling seems like a safe bet. And that's how that can happen. And they aren't monsters. Children, my brother did not act out as a grown man. He acted out as a 12-year-old curious boy, and I was six, I could not consent. I did not know what was going on. You're absolutely correct.
0: It's such a horrible situation to talk about, and I'm I'm really aware, Jane, that I'm not gonna say something, that I don't wanna step into something that's gonna create a hullabaloo. So I'd rather you just tell your story. This began at six, and it lasted until you are about, what, 12?
1: Correct, yes. And around 12 is when he left to college. And I kind of describe it, this is the best way to describe it, is that my body at age six, seven, eight, it reacted the way it was designed to react. And so the touch felt good. And so I felt like I was hiding part of the abuse. I wasn't going to tell my parents that this was going on. I couldn't formulate the words even if someone had asked me because no one had taught me. And I was feeling like I was a willing participant, so I hid the abuse as well. I felt shame. I felt anger, but I didn't understand why. So when he left to college, I can only describe it as he left me with this, this sex drive, this 12-year-old sex drive that I should not have had. And I became promiscuous, and I became needing male attention, and that was my main focus was male attention. I was angry. I was volatile, but I did not understand why. And it was all hidden because my parents were going through a divorce at the same time, so it could all be brushed apart as, oh, she's just having a difficult time with her parents' divorce. So I didn't show any outward signs, which actually 40% of children who are sexually abused don't show outward signs. So I was nothing out of the norm. But then my promiscuity just kept escalating, and I actually... I don't know if you want me to go into continue from my story from there or or pause.
0: Yeah, continue on with your story. You're doing a great job, Jane. Talking about it, obviously, you have become more comfortable having a discussion. You're probably more comfortable having a discussion than I am hearing it. To be honest with you, <laughs>
1: right? It's a very uncomfortable discussion to have, and people, it's 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 very. Uncomfortable. It's it's an icky situation, but that's why it's brushed under the rug because it does create discomfort. And I I have shared my story several times, and and I, it's been healing. But I'm finding others who need to hear it, and that's why I do share it.
0: And I, so I after, think that's phenomenal. It, it puts a purpose to your pain. They say. But before we get into your story, I do want to focus on something you said that I think is very important. You know, when I was 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, even up to like 15, I very much had the mind of a child. I may have, the in my later teen years, the body of a developing young man, but I was still very much like a child. My thoughts were not about sex and adult things. So when people see children that are 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, and they're very sexually oriented it's oftentimes a symptom or a sign, an outward sign that something has occurred that we'd never want to have happen.
1: Correct. Correct. That is one of the signs.
0: And at 12, um, here you are, you're angry, you're promiscuous, you're volatile. What other words did you use?
1: I think, ang- and there was a lot of shame there, but I didn't identify it as shame. I think the shame showed itself in anger. I was, I was rebellious. But those are all those could all be tied into my relationship with my father when they were going through a divorce. And so that that could I can understand why my parents missed the sign. Gotcha. I was the third born, my brothers thought I was spoiled. I was acting out. Nobody understood why I was acting out, including myself. I can look back and, and see what I was doing and we are talking with to.
0: Jane Epstein. This is a law enforcement today show. Believe me when I tell you, you don't want to miss the rest of this conversation. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. There was a time when eight-track tapes, analog media, and business cards were all the rage. Those days are long gone. Find out what's replacing business cards. Get more details online at letpops.com. All of your important information transferred just by clicking your phones together. Get more details online at letpops.com. That's letpops.com. This show is brought to you in part by the Change of Culture Podcast, hosted by Autumn, a female cop. She suffered a career-ending injury, went through a deep depression, and shares her recovery and mission to help others. Check out her website, autumnclifford.com. That's autumn, A-U-T-U-M-N, clifford.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show, returning in conversation with Jane Epstein, calling us from the California Bay Area. And Jane was sexually abused as a child for many years by a sibling. She's also an advocate her website is complicatedcourage.com. We'll talk to you about why that's important in a few moments. Before we're going to break, Jane, we're talking about you're being 12 years of age. Your family's going through some major changes. You've got what a lot of people would call stereotypical teenage or preteen angst. you got angry volatility. You've got all these things going on. And at that time, and you're much, much younger than me, but even as recent as 15, 20 years ago, no one talked about these things at all.
1: Correct. correct. So they're swept um, under
0: the rug with you and your family, weren't they?
1: Correct. Nobody was talking about this at oh. all. And even in the last four or five years, I feel like there's become a lot more awareness just around sexual abuse awareness and sibling sexual abuse awareness.
0: You know, Before meeting you, Jane, I don't think I've ever heard the term sexual sibling abuse.
1: You're not alone. I. That's a question that I get asked quite frequently, people say, well, nobody's talking about it. Is that, is that really happening? Yet it's very prevalent. It's a silent epidemic because you've got to think about the accessibility of the sibling. They're, they're right there. A the, the child who is looking for questions, looking for answers to their questions, they're going to seek the younger sibling out when the parents are asleep or when the parents are out. They're not going to go to school and, and grab a girl and, and walk her in the bathroom younger siblings are safer. This has been going on for decades. This is nothing new, but there's just so much shame and confusion around it that people are not discussing it. And there's also a lot of confusion for the abuse. They often question, was I sexually abused or was it just two kids being curious?
0: And along with that comes, you use the word shame. When I think yes. of the word shame, I remember a period of my life where I was deeply ashamed of the person I'd become and how I was handling the problems I had. It's okay to be ashamed of something I've done. It's pretty natural to have shame about something I did. It's a totally different ball of wax when you are ashamed of who you are. Yes. Yeah. And I get the yeah. feeling that's kind of how you felt. And there must have been, and and please excuse my my ignorance here, there must have been a huge amount of confusion for you because First of all, none of this is natural for anyone in that that age group. It's just not.
1: It's not. Yeah, there was a lot of confusion for me, and I think the way that I can best describe the way I handled it is that I felt I, I can look back and know that I was ashamed of who I was and who I thought I was because the sexual abuse did program me to believe that I wasn't worthy unless I had a male attention. And so I basically wrapped myself in a bubble, and I didn't let anyone truly know me. So I literally became, I'm going to describe it as I became disassociated from life. I became disassociated from people for 40 years. I was basically dead inside. And it did lead me to go into a career of stripping where I found a little bit of relief. And I can explain that the the relief came from a sense of feeling of power and of control, and I, I felt validated because men told me I was pretty and they gave me money. But that, that turned out to be short-lived as well.
0: And that's not unusual. In my police experience, in the area of Baltimore where I worked, we had a, an area known as a block, and that's where most of the adult clubs were. Uh, some of you use the term gentleman clubs. I don't know what's gentlemanly about it at all. And most of the dancers were either in a situation like you or were trying, dealing with horrific drug problems that they're trying to generate revenue for. And there are very few, very few that, that used it as an opportunity to earn a lot of money to finance their future. That They were the minority, to be honest with you.
1: Yes, yes. I will say that I, I found empowerment as well in, in earning an income and being able to to purchase furniture and to purchase and buy a car and to pay off debt, that was very empowering for me. But I did start to slide down a a, a slippery slope of starting to want to drink and wanting to do drugs in order to get through a set. And I could just kind of sense that I had been, by that time I'd been hurt so many times that I was getting ready to slide over some sort of edge and I was concerned that I wasn't going to come back. I just felt like I couldn't be hurt one more time. And that's actually when I met my first husband. He came into the club and he came up and he tipped me and he said, what are you doing here? You look like the kind of girl I could take home to meet my mom. And I had seen him in the club before and I was taken by him and I said to him, I said, you always tip me and you leave right away. Why don't you stay? And he said that particular day, he said, I'll stay if you come right out. And so I recall rushing to the back and probably popping a breath mint in my mouth and freshening up and Racing back out and spotting him sitting at the bar, and he was drinking his usual drink, gin and tonic. And I climbed up to the bar stool next to him, and I was just taken by him. And something inside of me said, You're going to marry this man. That was my love at first sight story.
0: And how old were you when you met him?
1: I was 21.
0: Oh, you were so young. Oh, my goodness. yes, yes. I- I'm not shocked by any of your story. I'm not shocked about the lashing out, I'm not shocked about the anger, I'm really not shocked about the disassociation, and to be honest you, in a sad sort of way, I'm really not surprised by sexuality, or using sex as a way of feeling, what's the word, I'm powerful to other people? Yeah. Because, uh, and this is the only, this is where it gets really uncomfortable for me Jane, because I don't have a point of reference, that if someone wanted me sexually for X amount of years, then all of a sudden, that's out of the equation and I'm left with all these raging hormones and everything else going on. I don't know how to deal with the, the after effects and that's the, that's what becomes familiar.
1: Right, right, that was very familiar, yes.
0: And as a kid, I'm sure it was an issue. I'm sure as a teenager, it was an issue. But I, I wanna go back to you meeting your 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 husband, you say your first husband. You were 21, right. you're working as a stripper, you struck a relationship, which also is not surprising. A lot of people don't realize exotic dancers are performers. And then when they yes. come off stage, they're people.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, while I'm on stage, I only want your dollar bill. Off stage, I learned how to, I would call it schmooze. I learned how to communicate with men because I was actually a pretty shy child.
0: But you obviously got over that at some point. You found you, you found a way that. to use use your feminine wares for lack of better words to to get what you want in life and you reverted back to what you knew
1: i did i did and and i will say that stripping did serve me well in that regard it made me independent i realized okay now i am pretty and i learned how to talk to men and and i and i did i did meet my first husband through stripping
0: and you said it was love at first sight
1: for me it was love at first sight i loved him with every bone in my body but i also needed him and he was 11 years older than me, so he filled in a lot of the fatherly gaps and a lot of the gaps that my abuser had left behind, so I made him my world, which can't be, it wasn't not ultimately a very healthy relationship, I don't think.
0: Well, one of the things I tell people, and I had to realize this myself, you know, whatever holes I have, and my friends that are, they're male, we have this conversation, whatever insecurities and deficiencies I feel I have, someone else And I know this is highly romanticized. Hollywood loves it. You complete me type thing. Someone else can't make me feel whole and make me feel better about myself. It is a tremendous obligation. It's a lot of pressure on the other person. And inadvertently, what we wind up doing is pushing them away. We're talking with Jane Epstein on the Law Enforcement Today Show. There's so much more to talk about, including warning signs every parent should be aware of about one of their children being sexually abused. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Back to our conversation on the Law Enforcement Today Show with Jane Epstein. Jane was there's no way of polite way of saying that. She was sexually abused for many years by a sibling, and it had dramatic impacts on her life, on her teen years, and her early 20s. And she also is an advocate now. Her website is complicatedcourage.com. Before we went to break, Jane, you're talking about you met your husband, your first husband, uh, when you were stripping. You were 21, and he developed esophageal cancer. And my uncle Tom just passed away from that and he was in his late 80s. Doesn't make it any easier, but you must have gone through some dramatic changes as he was sick, and you knew he was terminally ill, and he was dying. It must have been a dramatic time for you.
1: It was. I I changed inside. I, I believe that I had been so numb for 35 years that when he was diagnosed and when he ultimately passed away, that for the first time in my life, I had to feel. I couldn't avoid feeling the loss of his death. And I found some joy inside of that grief. I know it's hard for people to understand grief and joy, but inside of my grief, I found the ability to live again. I found the ability to not worry about the small stuff, like if somebody cut me off on a highway, it wasn't a big deal. I learned to appreciate rainy days, and I appreciated the ocean, and I appreciated sunny days. I felt alive for the first time in my life
0: that doesn't surprise me in the slightest bit. It, it does seem like a contradiction, incredible grief, incredible sadness, incredible pain, but from that comes a lot of pressure where it kind of forces you into looking at things and making changes in your life.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Especially Obligatory. at such a young age.
1: Yes, I I, w- I viewed the loss of him, I, I I valued the ability to be able to take care of him. I had to do things that I never thought I could do. And I was with him when he passed, and it was absolutely beautiful. And I felt, geez, I've learned a lesson that some people don't learn until their 80s, and some people never learn. And I felt incredibly fortunate.
0: One of the things I'm really liking about what you're saying, Jane, is you had six years of being sexually abused, horribly traumatic. You had a love affair of the ages, love at first sight, almost like a Hollywood type movie, swept off your feet, teaches you how to live, do this, do that, incredibly great marriage, and he develops cancer and dies. Another horribly traumatic situation, and at that point in your life you're 34, and when you really start to look at yourself before that, Or was that like the impetus for you to say, i got to make some changes. Some things are not happening the way I want in my life.
1: I think when he was diagnosed, I started making those changes. And he was, from diagnosis to death, was about seven months. And through that process, I think I grew an enormous amount. And I realized that I wanted to be a better person. And I wanted to not be so hateful and so judgmental.
0: Oh my goodness, you sound like you're telling part of my story and I didn't go through what you went through. My dad was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer almost 30 years ago and I was a young man and people said hey you need to start spending time with your dad we didn't have a good relationship at that point Uh, and I'm like what do we do what do we talk about they're like you idiot talk about what he wants to talk about do what he wants to do Yeah, try being a son instead of a know it all and figure it out so the benefit of that was Jane I got to have a good pleasant relationship with him for last year of his life and I hope And I think it's the same way for him. And I was positively impacted by that. I'm a much better guy today than I was. And I wasn't a bad guy before.
1: And I think that's why I really appreciate your platform sharing stories because I think we're all connected in some way. You know, you may not have been sexually abused, but we, we are connected. We can relate. I love that.
0: Yeah, and there's things that happen. Everybody I know, and I think one of the most Powerful things about this platform, the Law Enforce Today show, is almost everyone I know has really bad things happen in their life. Things they never intended, never wanted to have happen. Trauma, which is overused word, but we're left with choices. All right, this is what happened. Now, how can I create a pleasant life for myself, my children, my family afterwards? How can I build pleasant memories for myself today? And that's ultimately the choice we have. And that's where... Your story really has a lot of significance because, quite honestly, you've overcome a lot.
1: Yeah. I've lived a lifetime, for sure.
0: (laughs) At 34, he passed away. And you said that during that grief, you began to feel some joy and uh, you'd already started the process of self-discovery and, mm, I would imagine, some healing from the trauma of the sexual abuse.
1: You know, I still push the sexual abuse aside. I still wasn't going to deal with it. I still thought it was just curiosity gone wrong. It wasn't a big deal. But I did have time to self-reflect during after his death and before I met my now husband. And I, and I had grown so much and I thought, I'm okay. I like myself. I like who I am. I like who I'm becoming. And I did get remarried and we were blessed with two children. And after the children were born, that's when something happened that triggered the memories of the sexual abuse. And the memories would not go away. They could not be put back in their box. And that's when I became angry, depressed, and volatile once again. And that's when I had to hit my bottom once again.
0: Interesting, but not surprising. Children, when they come in to the picture, I I remember being 30 years of age, 31, and having two children, married, everything I wanted in life I had going on at the time, Jane, and I began a process of self-destructing. And it was because of of traumas in police work and my inability to handle them better. So I'm not surprised because with children comes a tremendous sense of responsibility and self-questioning and I'm sure for you it was like, how do I keep them safe?
1: Yes, yes. I kept looking at them and I thought, wow, they're so little and so innocent. How can I protect them and how could someone have done that to me? It brought back a lot of memories that would not, they would not go away.
0: Those are the hardest things for me to handle as a cop. Uh, crimes against children. To this day, when I talk to people who are, investigate crimes against children, especially the sexual predators, I I am just like cringing and my stomachs in knots because I cannot understand it. I never understood it as a street cop. I don't understand it now, and I don't think I ever will.
1: Right. I'm not sure I'm not sure I have the answers either.
0: <laughs> well, it's okay we both have questions. And I right. think at this point right. in my life, I'm okay having questions and I've gotten to be really okay with having unanswered questions.
1: Right. Right. And and I, you know, I can look back at my life and I'm in a healthy place right now and I've learned a lot and I'm I'm able to give back now. I am very mindful of the survivors who are who are still in the thick of it. And so I'm very mindful of not saying my childhood sexual abuse is a gift or my grief is a gift. I think what I've been able to do with them has been a gift.
0: How did you get from that point of self-destructing, that kids are born, all the horrible things come up, to where you're at today, where life is pretty good?
1: Sure. There was a point in my marriage, I, 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 after the memories were re- resurfacing, I, I became depressed and volatile. And there was a day that I said to my husband, We have to go to counseling because I figured it was him. It had to be him. It wasn't me. But we spent five years in marriage counseling, and we talked about my grief. We talked about our marriage, but we never talked about my past. And so one day, the therapist said, Jane, your anger does not match the circumstances. And I said to him, to the therapist, I said, Well, my brother messed with me when I was little. And the room got quiet, and he said, What do you mean messed with you? And I said, my brother sexually abused me. And he started asking questions and I said, well, it couldn't be that big of a deal, is it? I mean, we were just curious and he said, it's a big deal. It changes the way you look at your life. It changes the way your attitude. It changes the way you feel worthy or not worthy. It can change a lot. And it was at that point that I honestly had to sit down and unearth every single hurt in my life and rewrite my story. And as I started to write it, I thought, ah, no wonder my life happened out of order. And I had to, process it and started shedding the layers and sharing my story with my husband and becoming truly known.
0: And the rest they say is history, which we will go into in a few moments. We are talking with Jane Epstein. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. There's so much more heading your way, including signs that every parent should be aware of or know about regarding sexual abuse with their children. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is... Where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET podcast network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Jane Epstein on the Law Enforcement Today show. She's calling us from the Bay Area of California. She was sexually abused for about six years as a child by a sibling, uh, and a really I, the interesting is not the right word to use, and dramatic is not the right word to use, but a very powerful story, Jane, because you've gone through a whole lot. Hollywood would have you believe that someone has gone through what you went through, could not have the life you have today, they would self-destruct with drugs and alcohol, they'd be in and out of prisons, and they'd probably die very young. And you're ex- example that that does not have to be the case.
1: You're absolutely correct. Many survivors don't have the ability to get out. I feel very, very fortunate. I feel like I have a couple of things in my back pocket. My, my brother apologized to me when he was 21. I was not prepared for the apology. My reaction was, it's okay, I participated. But I think I had that in the back of my head, knowing that he had apologized. That's the first thing. Then the second thing was when I told my mom that it occurred, she believed me. And then the third thing that occurred was when I was remarried to my now husband, we went to counseling and therapy. He was able to pay for the therapy, the antidepressants. So I feel like I had a couple extra bonuses in my life, if that makes sense. And I feel that I've been incredibly blessed and I don't take those things for granted. I have a talking relationship with my sibling and not other survivors have that.
0: Those are all great things. I want to go back for a break. You talked about you went to couples therapy with your your now husband and yeah. some things gotta be done and you kind of casually brushed off, well, I, my brother messed with me. And then it must've been like, wait a second, what happened? And then you're like, you try to play off like not a big deal, but the therapist said it is a big deal. How long of a process was it for you to say, okay, the cat's out of the bag now, and I got to talk about it, and I really don't want to talk about it? Because to be honest with you, I would never want to talk about this with anybody.
1: Well, I think that once the cat was out of the bag, I think that was my way of saying, I need to talk about this. There's something inside of me. And, I, and I've heard lots of stories about when people need to, to make a change, there's something inside of them that has to come out and I think that that's where I was at. It needed to come out, so now I had verbalized it, and I got better about verbalizing it, and that's when I started writing it down. I could write it down, but I couldn't necessarily always speak about it. I think it needed to come out. It had to come out.
0: If it didn't come out, how would you think your life would be now?
1: I think I would be maybe dead or depressed. Um, I know that I was starting to drink more and more, and when I decided to do some self-reflection, I did quit drinking. And I had to just dig deep inside. I think if it hadn't come out I would I would have I would have died by suicide.
0: I'll be honest with you, Jane, I'm kinda glad you're forced into it. I think a lot of us when I say us, it's all different issues. A lot of us are kind of forced into saying, Hey, I gotta do something about this, I gotta look at this, it's not something I wanna do. It's not natural to wanna deal with this. It's it's easier to say, I'm gonna put this in a closet somewhere, where I never have to think about it and deal with it ever again. I'll use willpower to make sure it's not part of my life.
1: Yes, I tried. It didn't work.
0: (laughs) There's not enough willpower in the world for stuff like that. No. So here you are. You're married. You go through couples counseling. you, You make this admission. And how would you describe the process of what it took to get from there to where you're at today?
1: It was a long process. And I think it's been my writing process, in all honesty, Because I've been writing chapters, and then I I pass them over to my husband, and so he's getting to know me, I'm getting to know me, and sharing my story, taking those layers of shame off, those layers of shame that are not mine, and now I am truly known, and I can love myself for who I am, what I've been through, and now my husband understands me much better as well, and he loves me, and he he can look at me with admiration and see how strong I am.
0: It's okay to have scars. It's really okay to have physical scars. It's really okay to have mental, emotional scars as well. I can't speak for you, Jane. I'm a complete person. If I try to deny that part of my past, that part of my history that caused some of these scars, it's like saying part of me didn't exist. Yeah. Or that, and here's where the shame part comes in. I didn't handle it the way I should have. What I did the best I could with what I had at the time. As I learned more and got better, I did better. And that sounds a lot like you.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I feel very fortunate to have all these learning lessons.
0: Well, now you're a parent, and you went through the fear of how to protect these children. What are some of the things that parents need to be aware of? You know, just from your experience, what are some of the signs they need to be aware of that when they pop up, this is a a, a pretty good indicator that something bad is happening and the child might be sexually abused?
1: I think the biggest indicator is children don't change overnight for no reason. That's your biggest indicator. I'm a moderator of a Facebook group, and a lot of people said that their their biggest indicator was anger, rebellion, and there was no reason for it. That's the shame talking. As I said earlier, 40% of children don't have any designs. So look for change in behavior, or if your child doesn't want to be left alone with someone, or... There's bedwetting, there's tummy ache, there's a whole list of symptoms and signs on actually another website called stopitnow.org.
0: So bedwetting, not feeling good, obviously not want to be around a certain person, and, and sudden dramatic changes in behavior.
1: That's the number one sign to look for. Children don't change overnight for no reason.
0: I gotta say this again. I know I said it earlier in the show. When when you have a seven, eight, nine year old that all of a sudden is acting sexually promiscuous, that's a number one red flag that they're being taught something in a way that you don't want. Correct. Because their minds don't think like that. Eight, nine year old minds don't think like that. You said earlier, Jane. You know, my body responded to the physical stimulus in the way it's supposed to, but it's a tremendous battle in the brain, like, I I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening.
1: Right, right. It was very confusing. I, I couldn't have, I would not have had the words, and that's my number one, my number one mission is that parents, please start reading to your children body safety books when they are age three. Start reading to them so that they have the words, so that they understand the word no, and they understand their body bubble and their boundaries.
0: One of the things you do now that I would imagine using a phrase that I used earlier, putting a purpose to your pain, or helping other people with what you went through in the past. You do a lot of advocacy work now to help primarily women, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, mostly mostly women, because women are the ones who are asking for the help. But I I don't want to discount that the men, the numbers are very, very high for men as well.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. the, The amount of young boys that are sexually abused is mind-boggling, and it's this is something that happens in every ethnic group, every societal group, income, it doesn't matter, almost every country in the world as well. It's just not an American thing, and it's not a poor thing, it's not a rich thing, it's it's everybody thing. It is. What is some of the advocacy work that you do?
1: I, I help moderate a Facebook group, and we have to admit people, we have to look over their posts, and we comment their posts, we support their posts and I share my story. I think the biggest thing I'm doing right now is sharing my story so that other sibling sexual abuse survivors don't feel alone because when I first started talking about it, I felt very alone. I felt like I was the only one And I also have resource, I don't write the resources, I don't write the books, but I have resources on my website. So a lot of parents reach out to me and say, what do I do now, or how do I educate my child? I have all those resources on my website. I am an advocate right now, I am not selling anything, I'm just trying to have a voice and create a platform for other sibling sexual abuse survivors.
0: And the name of your website is Complicated Courage? It is. It's complicatedcourage.com. I would imagine it takes a lot of courage to get to where you're at. I would imagine it takes a lot of determination and a lot of help. One of the things that I always tell people, and I'm miserable, Jane, in asking, letting people help me. I'm really even horrible even asking for help. But if top athletes, I'll use Tom Brady's example, can use coaches, doctors, nutritionists, trainers, other teammates that help him be really good at his craft and his skill set and what he does, why can't people like you or I, why do we find it so difficult to say, hey, I'm a little bit damaged, and I need some help?
1: I think that's the shame talking, I really do.
0: Well, I'm glad you spent time with us today. I'm so thrilled you did, because I'll be honest with you, it was a very difficult conversation for me to have. You did it, you made it much easier for me. Your website again is complicatedcourage.com. Jane, thanks so much for being a guest on the show, very much appreciated.
1: Thank you
0: so much. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.